This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. of focus on the products that we buy and the food that we eat, but how about our pets? We just launched Brightly's Sustainability Trends Report, and one thing that stood out to me on the rise in 2022 is sustainable pet parenting, as conscious consumers look to reduce the carbon paw print of their furry friends. With that being said, there's no better time to reshare one of our favorite episodes with veterinarian Dr. Rory Callum of Rory the Vet. In this episode, we discuss everything from eco-friendly pet diets to how to cut down on waste, poop bags included. If you're an owner of a pet, which most of you are, you're going to get a ton out of this episode. Enjoy. All right. Hi, Rory. Uh, Welcome to Good Together. We're so excited to have you. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes. So listeners, uh, today we've invited Dr. Rory Callum. Um, He's also known as Rory the Vet on Instagram. He's a practicing vet in the UK who is super passionate about the intersection of sustainability and pet ownership. Um, If you're based in the UK, you might have seen him in a few uh, UK-based TV shows that really showcase his unique veterinary skills. Um, But we actually found Rory through his Instagram account. Um, We love his quick uh, tips and tricks on how to be a more eco-friendly pet owner, which is what we're talking about today. So welcome, Rory. I wonder if you can kind of give our listeners um, an overview of sort of what you do and sort of what got you interested in the eco-friendly part of uh, pet ownership. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, thank you for that lovely introduction. I, I'm Rory. I, I'm a, a vet. I, I've been a vet for five years based in London, UK. Um, I love everything animals. Uh, so I have basically dedicated my life and my, and my Instagram, as you point out, to, uh, to animals and, and cute pics, but also trying to educate as many people as possible on, on good animal welfare and, and, and good animal husbandry and basically trying to help the modern pet parent look after their their dogs and their cats and their rabbits and their guinea pigs and whatever you've got in the best possible way. Um, now, you asked me how I got into the sustainability thing. But I think that's a really interesting question. I've been asked that a few times. And, and my answer has always been, how have you not got into the sustainability? Oh, I love that. <laughs> because, it, I mean, unless you're living under a rock, we all, we all love life. We all love humanity. We all love nature. And, and particularly as an animal lover myself, how can I preach to people about looking after their animals when actually so much of my responsibility and what I stand for is animals worldwide and wildlife and plants and the ecosystems and nature. So for me, it's not, it, it's not a separate thing. It, it, it's all one thing. It's all about doing what's right for animals and nature and ecosystems and the planet. Totally so, agree. <laughs> so I think, yeah. And, and I think you, you, you hit on it there. I, I've sort of tried to combine a little bit 
products uh, and, and ways that we look after our pets um, and, and using things like single-use plastics and, and just trying to be that little bit more eco-conscious, not only about our own carbon footprint, but also about our, our pets' carbon footprints. Yes. And I think, you know, as we as conscious consumers start to, th- start to think about our lives in general, most of us own pets and most of us have questions about what the impact of our pets are on the environment. And of course, we also want to be the best possible pet parents. Um, I actually have always been really interested in the intersection of, you know, our daily activities and sort of their mark on the world. And I actually saw this really interesting article. I feel like it was totally clickbait a long time ago, but um, (laughs) there was a, a headline that was going around that was like, is owning a pet worse for the environment than driving an SUV? And of course, I mean, that's like, to me, the most uh, clickbait thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, there's so basically what happened was there was a UCLA study that came out that said that dogs and cats are responsible for about 25 to 30% of the environmental environmental impact of meat consumption in the U.S. Um, And, you know, so, you know, basically then they compared that to the amount of carbon um, emissions that come out of SUVs. And basically they're saying like, "Eh, it's kind of the same thing. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily, (laughs) but, you know, it's one of the things where we think about everything from, you know, the, the food that our pets need all the way up to the waste that they create. Um, it's it's a really interesting topic. So I'm really I'm really excited to get into it with you. So I guess we could kind of start with that first topic. I mean, we do have a lot of uh, listeners and Brightly community members who are interested in you know veganism and cutting down on the amount of meat that they personally consume. And I know that oftentimes that kind of comes into uh, the the pet world. So have you ever worked with clients or asked uh, fielded questions from people who are curious about the meat consumption that their their pets are um, really involved in? Because I mean, that's the way they're, I mean, my, my thought is that's the way pets are, are created. I don't really know how we can get away from that, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I get this all the time and, and actually more and more so free, sort of recently, because I think you're right. I mean, that more and more people are becoming more aware of what they're eating. We, we do have a huge vegan community, both in the US and the UK. I think people are starting to think about the the eco side of that. I think I think originally veganism was was really about animal welfare, and it's all about sort of the 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 welfare of the animals that you're eating. And I think more and more so, actually, people are turning vegan not necessarily because of the animal welfare, which obviously is important in its own right, but they're also turning to veganism because of the eco standpoint. Um, and, and that's becoming much more of a reason for it. I mean, I must I must say, I have stopped eating meat because of the eco standpoint um i will occasionally indulge but i'll only indulge in sort of very local small bread i mean i i, I grew up on farms right so literally up the road there's, sure there's, there's, there's this amazing lovely farm and i'll eat meat from those sources but really otherwise i, I won't touch it so i i think there is there are more and more people asking those questions and and yes so I get people come in and, I, and they say that they feed their dog a vegetarian or a vegan diet. I think more and more we have to think about it. There's more and more studies going into it. There's more and more companies producing vegan and vegetarian foods for dogs. And, and really the, the question is, can we do it? And is it, is it okay to, and is it ethical to? Yeah. And the short answer is, the short answer is yes, but 
there is a word of warning there and and the court the caution that must go with that is the fact that we don't really know with regards to long-term health how those dogs will be so because it's such a new thing because traditionally we feed dogs kibbles and meats and and whatever else we haven't done the studies we haven't done the longevity studies in those dogs to actually show that they have good health for two three four five plus years yes we can say that with blood tests over 12 months they seem well because we've done those tests um and early signs are good early signs are good that dogs could eat a vegan diet um however for me from my point of view really focusing on animal welfare and animal health I, I would really struggle to to recommend a friend to to feed their dog a vegan diet right now. Yeah, that, I I love that you you you've accomplished this sort of thought process through thinking about blood tests, testing, and and wanting to really think about the overall longevity of of the pet. Because I I totally agree with you. I think it's something that's absolutely worth studying more, um, especially as we as a society start to develop meat alternatives, like you mentioned. Um, but yes, I think from a overall, um, you know, in, in general, from an overall thought process, um, this is fa- a fascinating conversation, and I feel like people are going to be so interested in that so yeah, yeah it makes sense absolutely you, you mentioned alternatives there as well and and, and we've got to i suppose we've got to throw soy and corn into this conversation um uh, do, do you have soy and corn, well, corn protein in, in the uk oh, sorry in the us uh, well, yes we do we do yeah so so corn is is a mushroom fung- is a fungal protein i believe um correct me if i'm wrong you probably know better than i do but recently i found out that actually that that could be toxic to dogs so we've got to be really careful when we're thinking about alternative protein sources for dogs. We can't just say, okay, well, just because a, uh, a human can eat it, that doesn't necessarily mean a dog is okay with it. And, and equally, high, high levels of soy are not great for dogs either. So we've got to be careful. Um, what the, the, the advice I'm giving people at the moment when they're coming to me and say, I want my dog's diet to be more eco-friendly, mm-hmm. I say, okay, great. Well, why don't you halve the amount of kibble or halve the amount of meat you're feeding and supplement that with veg? Yep. Like that's a that's a good, safe, easy way of really reducing the, the the carbon footprint of that food. And I think that's gonna be the safest way for that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what we tell humans to do. <laughs> uh, right. We have so many uh, podcasts about healthy eating. I'm actually one that came out just very recently um, was with a company called Thistle that is really dedicated here in the uh-huh. U.S. to to providing easily accessible vegan meals. Um, so I've I've enjoyed trying them recently because it's it's kind of inspired me to try more vegan meals. But um, yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about small steps people can make every day on this podcast, and so truly, even just you're right supplementing some veg and getting in there. I think obviously we we need probably need to say this on, on the podcast. Please consult with your own vet. Uh, this is not uh, to be taken as medical advice for your animals. So, of course, <laughs> please consult with your own vet before doing um, any kind of uh, you know food changes with your pet. But I love to know that that's something that you recommend. Um, I think going to another topic that is always top of mind for me. So um, some of our listeners might know I have three dogs. Um, I did not plan on having three dogs, but uh, I <laughs> I have a very old golden retriever. She's 12. Um, and she 
poor thing is just riddled with, you know, tumors and just old oh, thing, but her quality yeah. of life is fine. Like she still acts like a puppy runs around. Yeah. Um, I have a um, four-year-old German Shepherd Husky mix who is a lot, but he is he's a sweetheart. Um, and then because of COVID, like I and my husband, like many people chose to adopt a puppy um, because we were, you know, had so much time at home and we figured we could devote even more time to training and stuff. So she's about a year old now, which is crazy that we've been in this pandemic for so long. Yeah. Um, but she is a, a great Pyrenees uh, border collie mix. And so um, she actually came from an area of the States where they, they do a ton of agriculture. So I think they, they do that type of breeds to look after um, yeah. sheep herds and things like that. But anyway, um, with three dogs come the three large dogs um, comes a lot of waste, both from the poop end, but also from a toy and, um, you know, overall just, just fun end, right? Like they love their big chewers. They destroy pretty much whatever I give them in short order. So one thing that I think about frequently is the amount of waste and sort of the, the plastics and sort of the, the toxicity that's potentially going into the manufacturing of their toys. And so I'm always looking for ways to keep them occupied while not having to give them something that's just going to be destroyed immediately or can't necessarily be reused. So I wonder if you've ever done any thought in that area around like waste of items that we potentially provide to our pets. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, we're lucky in the UK that we have a lot of brands that are really starting to think along those lines and using renewable materials, using natural materials to make good, decent chew toys and, and, and other other products for pets. Um, this is great, actually, speaking on from a US point of view as well, because I can't give I can't give brands here a, a shout out, which is great. I mean, it's, it's good that we can think about the, the sort of the, the standard approach to this, because thinking about things like bamboo, thinking about using materials that are really renewable, natural rubbers um, and, and, and stuff like that actually they can all be used in, in dog toys I, I mean i have a, a box of toys sat right next to me right now um and if i go through there it, it's all eco-based there's a load of of um of bamboo products such as chew toys such mm. as bowls such as poo bag dispensers those sorts of things you can get leads that are completely plastic free um and, and it's really exciting it's a really exciting time in that sphere at the moment because there is a real demand for these products and there are companies really answering this call. Um, I've got a puppy. I don't, I don't know if you knew this. I, I've just adopted uh, my first pup. I've obviously. Oh, had that's so exciting. Right. And it is. And it's so exciting, but it has also thrown me into this, like the, the, the consumer aspect. Right. So I, I've always been on the other side of the table. I've always been there as the vet sort of advising people and trying to help people and get, trying to get people to think more eco-friendly, but then, from my point of view, I've just been thrown in the deep end here and just gone, okay, well, now you've kind of got to listen to your own advice and and you've got to go looking for these products because they are out there. You've just, you've just got to think about it. And I mean, even, even if we think about the first things that I worried about with my puppy, okay, so toilet training. So the first thing that you think about with those are things like to puppy pads, particularly if you're based in a flat or in, in somewhere without yep. a garden, you use puppy pads. Well, actually, no, I went out and looked and, and, and now I use actually a, a piece of turf and we put a piece of turf in a cardboard box outside the front door and that is her puppy pad. I've heard it's, of people doing this it's so cool right. it, it, it's is great. it working well for you 
It's brilliant. You know what? It's even better because they don't get used to peeing on the pad on the carpet, so they don't get that association. And it's it's completely natural. It's 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 eco, and and it makes me so much happier. Um, That's and it amazing. Lasts like a month as well. <laughs> and also, this is the thing. Everyone talks about eco-friendly products being more expensive, but actually, if you work it out, I did the math. So, puppy pads work out about fifty p in the in the UK, probably the equivalent of around seventy cents in in the US, I would imagine. Uh, per pad right using those what two or three times a day per month that's probably around 30 to 40 bucks or, or pounds these pad the, the, this this piece of turf is a, is about 20 to 30 pounds and that's for lasting about a month as well so yeah. actually it's costing me no more if anything it might be even saving me a little bit um but it's it's so much better for the environment that and also um things like uh yeah food bowls they're always plastic, right? They're always plastic or metal. Yes. Well, why don't you go and find a, a bamboo bowl? And, and I know bamboo gets a lot of stick about things like cleanliness and, and going through dishwashers and all that sort of stuff. It can, it can end up not being the most hard-wearing product in the world. But particularly with a dog bowl, just rinse it under the tap. I mean, particularly if you're, if you're not feeding a raw food, you don't really need to clean it thoroughly every single time. So it's yep. not going to get that wet. So yeah, it's just, it's just about engaging the brain, thinking about how can I be a bit better for my dog? Yeah, I love I love the piece about um, thinking about new materials to go after. So, of course, you're right. There are some U.S. based brands that I see mostly starting to use recycled plastic here. So, I wouldn't say that we've had as many brands going into the bamboo space, but I'm excited and and I'm sure there's there's people working on that as we speak. Um, yeah. So, I think it's it's you know the same kind of conversations we have. Um, like when we talk about fashion here, like durability, you know, is the product going to last for a long time? Um, what are the materials that it's made out of? Um, where is it made, right? Like we know that most pet products and things are made in China. And yeah. we also like to say here on the podcast, just because something's made in China doesn't necessarily mean um, that it's made poorly or unethically, but traditionally that has kind of been the way of things. There are companies that are working to change that, but typically, um, you know, the supply chains around pet products are, you know, not very transparent. So I definitely think there, there's an angle there. Um, and, you know, the other thing too is, again, thinking about the amount that we're consuming. So you just mentioned, you know, you're kind of been thrown into it, um, into the deep end, as it were. Uh, as a new sort of pet parent, but we also hear a lot of this from you know parents of babies too, right? <laughs> People who are Absolutely. newly uh, new parents who are you know most likely minimalists if you think about it, and then all of a sudden they have a baby on the way, and you know our cultures in general are about buying as much as you possibly yeah. can to like in somehow increase the welfare of your um, your new baby or pet, and it's just it's just generally from a from a you know macro level, it's kind of amazing <laughs> to think think about the amount of consumption that is expected on behalf of like being a parent right <laughs> and it's so hard and you get and you and you can miss things right so it's so yes like, if you if you sit 10 products in front of either even even you who is so centered around being eco-friendly if i put 10 products in front of you you wouldn't be able to tell me straight away if they were eco-friendly or not no it way look, yeah it could look from the outside like okay yeah it's a bamboo bowl okay well Okay, well, what if it was made in in China and it's it's got three thousand air miles on it, and actually, you know what, the water consumption to make it was this, and and you've got to think about all these things. It's so difficult. So, yeah. uh, really, we need transparency. That's the other thing, and 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 I think as we as the drive for these products 
it increases, I think we're going to have to get these companies to be more transparent with these things. We've, I mean, there's a, there's a really cool company in the UK, and I won't name names, but they're, they're a food company, and they're doing this thing called blockchain technology. Have you heard of yep. it? Yes, I yeah. have. Yep. So this was a completely new concept to me. Uh, I, th- I believe it came about through Bitcoin originally um, to, to um, certify each step in a in a Bitcoin heart, uh, mining and growth and all that sort of thing. So anyway, way beyond me. I don't do finance. Uh, I'm, I'm so financially illiterate. It's ridiculous. Uh, unless it's got four legs and barks, I don't really know much. So um, this blockchain technology was used by this food company to, to basically highlight where every single ingredient in this food was coming from, how it was being handled, how it was uh, certified by, say, for example, the Soil Association or the Farmers Association. And then it's got every single step approved and through the factories and it's all got its mileage on it. It's got its, its consumption on it. So it, it, it's so transparent. And I think these sorts of technologies and these sorts of things are going to have to become commonplace so that we can be sure. because. Unfortunately, we also live in a world of massive, massive companies that love to hide these things, right? Yes. So, I mean, there's nothing that, that worries me more about these small, amazing, eco-friendly, lovely boutique companies being bought by giants because they immediately stop sourcing the products as nicely. They stop sourcing the raw materials from an eco-friendly source. They get things from China. They outsource the manufacturing. And, and unfortunately, even the most eco-brand can be ruined within six months going into one of those deals. So don't feel bad. Don't feel bad if you're listening to this and you're going, I have no idea what I'm doing with my products that my, my dog's using. It looked eco and it's not. And I mean, I've fallen into the trap. God, I mean, the amount of times I've, I've looked at something and gone, oh my God, what are you doing, Roy? That is, that's stupid. That's so uneco-friendly. <laughs> oh, we all do and it, right? <laughs> I, yeah, of course yeah. you do. And you, just, and, you, and you just catch yourself and like, oh my God, you are so silly. But just change. That's all we. Can, that's all you can like ask for yourself is, is just realize it. Think about the things you're using, and and try and think of eco-friendly uh, sort of alternatives. And if it's not made as well, if you're someone that's way cleverer than me, just go and make it. Like that's the other yeah. thing. Just we are we are in a society now of eco-friendly warriors, and I think if, if there's something not made, go and get it made because like, it's going to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we talk a lot about, um, you know, using curiosity as a vehicle for creating change. So just simply by asking yourself the question, um, you can, you know, start to get into a research mode or discover a new brand, etc. to kind of, um, you know, reset and reevaluate habits and actually really just kind of transitioning to the to another question that I had. This is exactly how I, I started it, right? I was had my dogs out at a park. Um, you know, they used the restroom and I went to go pick up their poop and I put, you know, I put the poop in a bag, I put it in a bin and I noticed the bin was like overflowing with bags because it must not have been, you know, picked, you know, picked up or removed in a long time. And I was totally struck by the amount of plastic coming out of that bin. And I used to live in California and California is notorious for the amount of work they've done to ban single use plastic, specifically shopping bags. And so I had this thought where I was like, wow, like we have really gotten rid of a lot of these, you know, takeout bags, et cetera, um, you know, at a shop, but we still have a big problem with single use plastic waste when it comes to dealing with waste of pets. And really, I mean, if you think about diapers with babies, same thing there, like we've got to start thinking about like how to uh, dispose of waste 
you know, from our pets in a more eco-friendly way. So, um, you know, there are compostable options available, et cetera. But I'm curious to know is kind of what your um, experience is with these types of products as well. Yeah, so I, I use either degradable or, or compostable bags generally, and and they're 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 out there. You've got to you've got to go looking for them. They 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 took a while for me to find. Uh, and yes, there's two same. or three brands in the UK that do them, but they they are a little bit more expensive, but they are so so good. They're so well produced, and once you start using them, you will not go back. I promise you. They that the ones I use are cornstarch based, um, and and they are yeah they're just compostable, and then they will just break down. So if you have a dog poop specific bin in the park, then they just start breaking down. And it's so much better for the environment. It's so much less single-use plastic. The other thing that I've tried to start doing, and this is a, I don't know if this is a bit beyond, a bit gross or or what, but I try and pick up two poos in one bag. Yes, I've done the same thing. Yes, same here. Right, (laughs) so I just put a loose, I just put a loose knot in the top and and then I I go and I pick up the second one. It, it, It generally works quite nicely. The other thing, I'm a big advocate for at the moment and I'm trying to I'm trying to work out how to make my dog walks more eco-friendly. Right? I live in a city, so I live in central London and I go to the park and I was trying to I was walking along one day just listening to I think it was a podcast actually, but I was just listening, I was going, How can I how can I be more eco-friendly on my day-to-day jobs and my day-to-day walk? I'm walking through a park that is in central London and yet the, the parks are relatively clean over here. But even the best kept part has litter around. So yes. I stop and I pick up litter. Like that's an easy one, right? But what about a dog poo that's on the floor that no one's picked up? Go and pick it up. Don't be a snob. Just go and pick yeah. it up. It's not it's not hard. Um and just trying to trying to not walk on bits of grass, trying to stick to the path, letting the dog go and run around, but trying to walk yes. on grass and not ruin the grasses and that sort of thing. Because I mean if you think about the eco, the, the the carbon filtration aspect of grass, oh my god! Especially during the winter, it's so important that the grass stays healthy because yes. just from just from overuse, you can destroy a whole field within days, and 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 that is such a devastation to the carbon filtration sort of properties of parks, especially in central central cities. So it's just about trying to think. Like, look outside the box. Just think about it on your walk. And I think if everyone did it, again, just like if everyone if everyone ate less meat, the world would be a better place. If everyone was a little bit more eco-conscious on their dog walk, the world was, would also be a better place. Absolutely. And I, I love that you mentioned the environmental impact of just taking the dogs out to run around. I There are so many times when I've been on a hike um, with my pets or even just without them and just kind of walking around and there, there'll be signs that say, you know, unfortunately, animals aren't allowed here, but there's usually a reason for that, specifically to help not disturb existing wildlife. Yeah, so absolutely. I know it can be a bummer sometimes to like go somewhere and think, oh, well, you know, my dog is a and is, is an animal. It should be outside with everything else. Like that's totally fine. And most places allow you to take your pet in a safe area, but make sure that the dog stays on the trail and it doesn't um, get in, you know, especially one area that I was living had a huge population of burrowing owls and those were very easily disturbed um, because they obviously they lived in the ground. Um, So there's all sorts of just interesting impacts that potentially happen if you choose to let, you know, your, your animal kind of run wild um, and and potentially get into the other piece. Um, The the last thing I wanted to mention about waste specifically, because it's something that we, we kind of uncovered when we did a little bit of research, but there is, 
you know, there, I mean, oftentimes people think that it's okay to bury waste in the ground or to just leave it sitting out because it's it's better than putting plastic um, into the you know back into the ecosystem. And unfortunately, that's not usually the case. Um, there's two things that we kind of found out. So um, the national um, NRDC, I always forget what that acronym is. I'll, I'll we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but it is a resource council here in the United States. Um, they had a quote that was like, you know, please do not leave dog waste on the ground because the rain and just general runoff can take um, contaminants from that waste and get it back into uh, the ecosystem, which can contribute Absolutely. to, you know, toxic algae outbreaks and all sorts of, you know, things that are, that come around um, from that perspective. The same thing goes for um, flushing waste down the toilet, um, uh, you know, oftentimes, so, uh, you know, places do not have treatment plants designed to screen out things that are contained in animal poop specifically. Um, and that comes from EcoWatch. So again, it's always worth looking up to see what your facilities are, are you know, it's possible that they have the, you know, the filtration systems in place, but as a typical, um, you know, just best practice, we really should be picking it up, right? Like that to me was interesting. I thought maybe you could you could accomplish it the other ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that's probably going to be a common misconception. I think people listening will be surprised at that. But also the other thing you've got to think of is, and I don't know what the uptake in the US is, I'm, I apologize, but in the UK, something that we're very hot on as the veterinary industry is parasite prevention products. So you okay. have a dog, you use heartworm, heartworm prevention or you use lungworm prevention or you use worming treatments or you use flea treatments, right? For so sure. They come in either tablet form or spot-on form. We, are, we as the UK, I know in the US for a fact because a rep told me recently that the US uses more tablet form parasite pre- prevention than spot-on treatments that you put on the back of the neck. So yep. if you think about us giving those, they're in the digestive tract. They are going to be excreted in the feces. That goes back to your point about rain washing those drugs into waterways so it's really important that you pick those up because they can also be toxic toxic to aquatic life they can be toxic to flora and fauna in the environment so you have to be really careful about picking up your dog's poo now it is obviously really important that you use those preventions to maintain your dog's and your cat's health but be aware those products can then end up back in the environment. We as the UK still use a lot of the spot-on treatments. And actually, there's a bit of a move away from that because we've started to see in water samples, in waterways around the UK, low levels of the drugs we use in those spot-on treatments, which is a real worry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think in general, it's, it's us just thinking about the amount of chemicals and, you know, things that are potentially going back into the waterway. The same can be thought about for pet shampoos, just like human shampoos and and wanting to potentially look for more clean options there. Um, I also thought about that with my dogs and found a pretty good, uh, you know, clean alternative that comes in a biodegradable container. Um, so again, yeah, it's just like, bars. Oh, that's bars. right. They're, they're yes. making them now. So um, even for dogs, there's, there's a few, there's a few companies that are making shampoo bars and, and pore balms that are, are solid blocks now that don't have any packaging at all. 
Yes, um, we actually got sent a shampoo bar by one of the big brands. I know it's in the UK too, so I've got to I've got to try that on my pets Amazing. too to kind of see how that goes. But um, yeah, I mean, I think shampoo bars are they're they're things that seem intimidating to people, right? Because <laughs> we're just so not used to it. But if you think about it, just like a soap bar, then it's kind of like oh, right. well, duh. <laughs> you know, I, I started I started using soap bars and, and shampoo bars last year, and honestly, I. I've not even looked back. It's so easy. And, and it's so nice as well, not having all that plastic in the shower. Um, and using like, I use a coconut tray to hold them in. And it's just, it just feels nicer. I don't know. Yeah, it, it does. It does. And so that was, that was going to kind of transition into another question I had for you, which is, you know, how, um, you know, as you've become more interested in eco-friendly living from a pet perspective, um, you know, what are some other sort of sustainable living habits that you've kind of picked up over the years that you now use in your own life? So you said shampoo bars. I love that. What are some other ones that you're, you're yeah. actively doing? So shampoo bars, um, like uh, crystal deodorants, that sort of thing. I'm quite mm-hmm. a lot of toiletry aspects. I, I don't know why the toiletries really seemed like an easy switch for me because there's so much plastic in those things. Um, bamboo toothbrushes, all that sort of stuff. I think it's just it's just a very easy switch and it doesn't really affect you that much. So I did all of that a couple of years ago. The other thing was my diet. So I, I stopped eating as much meat. That was a big change for me. Um, I was quite a meat eater. I, I probably eat meat at least twice or three times a day. So that was quite a big change for me. Um, yeah. As I say, I, I do sometimes cheat, but um, it was a very conscious change. Um, the other things, so I use things like soap nuts to wash my clothes rather than detergents. Okay, that's because great. They're better for the environment and, and they're, they're, again, they're really easy um, and, and, and simple to use. Um, what else do I use? I, you know what? I've really got into plants as well. And that, that's uh, houseplants have become my passion. Plant dad, um, love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not just dogs and cats, it, it's plants <laughs> as well. So, I mean, I, I'm sitting in my office and I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight plants in my office. Wow. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's not even the start of it. I grow my own veg, I grow my own herbs. Um, I, I also have this big thing about waste in the kitchen and what you can do with it. So, I've grown my own pineapple. I've grown really? like all my <laughs> celery, like the celery um, bases and the lettuce bases, you can just put in water and then they will regrow and you can just reharvest those. So I have a, on my, on my windowsill, I just have like all the bases from celery and, and lettuce and all those sorts of things. And they're just growing and you can just harvest those alongside. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. We, yeah. We've seen so many great TikToks of people doing that. We, we've posted a few of ourselves. So right. yeah, so it's so good. interesting. <laughs> they're so good and and using things and bananas as well seem to be the thing for anyone that's a bit green fingered so i i'm a big banana fan I, i'll have a banana every morning um and i keep the skins and i put them in a bottle of water and i i basically use that to make my own plant fertilizer and honest to god you need to try it it is amazing and your plants will love it um just water them with it once a week if you just keep just keep replenishing the, the skins every five days or so and you basically make this like brown horrible smelling water <laughs> and you put that in your plants and they just love it. Just don't use it on any plants that you're going to eat because it actually can be toxic. You just really Okay, that. that's so good to know. That's good to know. And of course, like, uh, you know, pet owners also should definitely check their house plants too, to make sure um, that the plants are not, if they're toxic plants, that they're not within reach of the pet. Um, If you have cats, oftentimes that's another business because cats can, can jump up and get access. But that was another thing that I often um, looked, you know, to make sure that, that my, my plants weren't necessarily in reach. Cause we would, you'd be surprised. I mean, you and I, Rory, wouldn't be surprised because we, we 
probably been doing a lot of research here, but I think listeners would be surprised about, you know, how many plants actually are toxic to, um, to pets. And then, you know, same thing with food, right? Like you would, you just be surprised about how many things they can't have. Um, but yeah, so as, as we wrap up, um, one question that we always like to ask our guests, um, sort of in closing is, you know, what is exciting you the most about the eco-friendly and sustainable movement right now? Um, and if you can relate it back to pet ownership, that'd be great. I think it's the thing that encourages me is is we we can take a positive from COVID, right? So we've just lived through the hardest year that a lot of us will ever remember, I think. Yes. Um, and, and, and there'll be people out there that have had a great year, don't get me wrong. But the majority of us are anxious. We've had a really tough year. We've we're either over or underworked. We're we're struggling financially and, and, and pets have been a huge crutch for us. Okay. The yeah. thing that encouraged me the most right now is looking at the positive eco benefit that has come from the COVID pandemic. It's looking at what humans can do for the environment if we make big changes. So you look at the pollution from the Wuhan province in the in the first six months of last year. It was cut so much that you could see it on uh, satellite images. It was unbelievable. You look at the emissions from big cities last year, they were at record, record lows. You're looking at reintroduction of, of, of wildlife that had been extinct from areas for years and years and years. And because of COVID and because of reduced human activity, we're seeing those numbers rise. So there is a huge benefit that's come from this. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't expect everyone to carry on living like we have done. But if we can just take a look at ourselves in the mirror and look at what can happen when we ch- extremely change our behaviors, I think we can learn a huge amount from the last year. I totally agree. Yeah, we, you know, over here at Good Together and Brightly have definitely seen, I mean, great highs, great lows because of the past year. And then personally, the same goes for all of us. And I think you're right. The more that we can take a step back, think about the positive impact that, you know, at least try and get some kind of positivity from what's happening. I think it makes total sense. And I, for one, also love the intentionality that's come out of, of this pandemic, right? 100%. Like we, it's kind of the only thing we have time to do, <laughs> which is sit around and kind of think about everything. And while we want to try and, you know, not overdo it and not drive ourselves too crazy. I do think there's been such an opportunity for us to understand the impact of our daily habits um, on the planet, on the environment. But Rory, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been such a pleasure. And uh, listeners, you can find Rory on Instagram at Rory the Vet. Um, he posts amazing tips, and you know, regardless if you're in the U.S. or the U.K., they are you know applicable around the world. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've just had such a, uh, such a fun time talking with you. I'm sure we could get into, you know, 8,000 other things related to, <laughs> to pet ownership. Um, but yeah, it's been great. We could be here for hours, I think. So yeah, no, we should definitely wrap up. Thank you so much for having me. And you've got to give your three a big pedal from me too. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. 
To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.